Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung. Thanks for joining us here for a moment of study in God's prophetic word as we take a look at the book. I hold in my hands a five-hour series entitled Clear and Present Danger. My friend, we need to understand the times in which we're living. There's a fight against creationism. Satan's replacement theology is rampant in our world, and the preparations for ecclesiastical Babylon have been made. In addition to that, the global threat of Islam is reality today, and there is quite a mysterious silence in our churches on the second coming of Jesus Christ. Well, these are some of the dangers. We're going to listen to the second in our study of a clear and present danger for today. So take a moment with us. Let's listen, and then I'll tell you how you can get your copy of this five-hour series entitled Clear and Present Danger. But as we move into the second century, and I'm not going to give you a, a long history lesson. Let me just barely touch base with this. As we move into the second century, We see the early church fathers perverting their interpretation of the Word of God. Instead of being objective as they study the Word of God, they approach the Word of God subjectively. And introduced by Augustine is the allegorical approach to understanding the Word of God. And so as they do this, they become very prideful with who they are, so they think. Because of their interpretation of the Word of God. The perversion is is really going to be a part of the pride within these men. Uh, The perversion of looking at the word allegorically. You see, God's Word, as you approach it, as I understand hermeneutics, as you approach it, every bit of God's Word has a technical interpretation and a spiritual application. And or, should I say, a spiritual application. Everything is not technically interpreted for me. I mean, we have our children sing the song, all the promises in the book are mine. That is not a correct statement. Which one of your children were promised a land in the Middle East forever and ever? None of them. That's a promise in the book. It's not yours. The Bible must be looked at when you start to interpret it. That's where these early church fathers failed. That's how now they're going to move into Satan's replacement theology because they didn't approach with the proper hermeneutic, the interpretation of the Word of God. May I illustrate? Book of Leviticus has 27 chapters in it. The first seven chapters of the book of Leviticus are a system of sacrifices. Starting in chapters 8, 9, 10, and 11, you have a standard for priests who are supposed to uh, institute or apply these systems of sacrifices. And then from chapters uh, 8 to 27, or 12 to 27 rather, you have a system of worship in a tabernacle or later then in a temple. Now when I walked in here, I saw no sheep outside waiting to be sacrificed. Tommy, Harry... We don't have on priestly garments. This is not a temple. This is an auditorium. I don't see Leviticus technically interpreted for us today. Spiritual application. The word holiness is used 83 times in the book of Leviticus. You want to understand the holiness of God? Study the book of Leviticus. The spiritual application will give it to you. And that 
hermeneutical principle, I think can be applied so many, many places. It's important that you understand that as you approach prophecy, the study of prophecy, who is it written to? The technical interpretation. And then there's a spiritual application, as I've said. They didn't understand what Paul wrote to the people in Corinth. Remember in chapter 10 of the book of 1 Corinthians, the apostle Paul is speaking on a subject that the very uh, ungodly, unspiritual church of Corinth needed to hear. Everything is legal for me to do, but everything is not expedient for me to do because whatever I do with my life, I may be a hindrance to somebody who may come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 10. But in verse 32, I'm going to take a text out of context. It's not going to be a pretext, but here's what it says. Paul saying, I'm not going to be an offense neither to the Jew or the Gentile or the Christian. And at that point in time, he divided humankind into three parts, Gentiles, Jews, and Christians. You must understand that. For the first 2,000 years of human history, from Genesis 1 to Genesis 12, there were only Gentiles upon the face of the earth. Only Gentiles. He brought a Gentile, like I told that Jewish mama, he brought a Gentile from Ur of the Chaldees over the Fertile Crescent down into Israel to a place called Hebron. He called him a Hebrew, 13th chapter of the book of Genesis. He then called his grandson Israel, Jacob in chapter 32 was, had his name changed. He called his great-grandson in 2 Kings chapter 6 a Jew, and the Jews came into existence. And so for the next 2,000 years, you had Gentiles and Jews, no Christians, Gentiles and Jews. And then in Acts chapter 2, which we talked about when the church was planted, he brings Christians into existence. These early church fathers did not differentiate between these. And they, they allowed Satan to, to pervert their understanding of the word of God. And so they then started making the statement, well, why is God not going to allow the Jew to be involved with us? Because they're the ones that crucified Christ. That was their first doctrinal mistake. We're all responsible for the death of Christ. The Jews practically may have been the one who put them, who put him up on the cross. But we're all technically responsible. And God, by the way, didn't negate all that he had given to them because of that. Or we'd all be in, in, in deep trouble. So Acts is unfolding what's going to take place. You know what was the result of this perversion, of this pride? And as it advanced, Constantine in the fourth century pronounces the whole world Christian. Romanism, the Roman church, institutes all types of new ritual or so-called doctrine. They've basically left doctrine in the background. And you know what that resulted in? Persecution. And through the years, what could be known and recognized as replacement theology, and here is basically a definition of replacement theology. God has replaced his promises to the Jews and given it instead to the church. All those promises that he made to the Jews have been negated. They have been applied to the church. 
There's no more program for the Jew. It's only the church. And that resulted in persecution. 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue and landed in America. You know why he was sailing the ocean blue? He was Jewish. You know why he was out there? Isabella respected him enough to get him out of Spain. You know why? The Inquisition was taking place. Expel the Jews! Kill the Jews! Our theology says that God's replaced them. And that's why Columbus, a Jew, left Spain coming over to America in 1492. Oh, and then that same replacement theology continued on in Romanism until the 1500s when a man named Martin Luther said, I'm not going to stand for this anymore. And he nails his thesis to the door of the church. He leaves. But he didn't leave everything. He had a replacement theology mentality. Oh, he said, we're saved by faith. But uh, my understanding of church polity, uh, we've replaced the Jew. And so what did he do? He established the mother church of Germany, the Lutheran church. And some 400 years later, the Lutheran church stood by because of a wrong replacement theology and watched their leader. I'm not saying they were the ones who shoved the Jews into the furnaces or beat them to death or took the gold out of their teeth so they could save that for money. But they stood by. You know what the president said yesterday to a group of people who have finally said, we're not going to stand for the killing of babies any longer? He said, we're going to win the battle. There is a group that's not standing by, but most of so-called Christianity stands by and watches them kill millions of babies. And so this wrong theology in the time of Germany's greatest, supposed greatest hour, watched kill six million Jewish people. Thank you for spending the time studying the prophetic word of God with us. The series that we have been listening to, or at least a portion of it, is entitled Clear and Present Danger. I talk about the fight against creationism, Satan's replacement theology, preparations for ecclesiastical Babylon, the global threat of Islam, and the mysterious silence of the church about the second coming of Jesus Christ. If you would like to get your copy, you can call our toll-free number at 877-674-3298. Now that number is toll-free from across America. Let me give it to you again, 877-674-3298. Or you can go to our website, prophecytoday.com, go to the shopping mall, and you can order this series, Clear and Present Danger, online. By the way, as you study through this five-hour series on issues that we are dealing with today, you will come to the realization that the return of Jesus Christ 
could be very, very close at hand. Now, that's the second coming back to Jerusalem. But seven years before, that's the rapture of the church. And actually, that could happen at any moment. There's nothing left for me to say then, except let's keep looking up until...